Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, reveal your Son to us so that we might truly see him and all that he desires to show us of your world. Amen. During those years when our daughter was going to school, without a doubt, my favorite day of the school year was parents' night. Every fall, I looked forward to gathering with other parents at school, following my daughter's daily class schedule, and most of all, hearing from her teachers. Truly, I was on the edge of my seat, not just because we were galloping from one classroom to the next, but because there was so much for us to learn, not just about what our kids would learn that year, but more about why and in what way our kids would be taught. I was never disappointed. Walking back to the car, Michael and I would have so much to talk about. Having just raced through our daughter's classes, we would rehearse what we had heard in order to make sure that we hadn't missed anything profound. Did you hear that? Did you hear this? To this day, both Michael and I remember something the art teacher, Mr. Matsikas, had said. He said it quickly, but it sounded profound enough to cause a momentary hush to come over the room. Speaking about his pedagogical method, Mr. Matsika said, if they don't learn to look now, they'll never learn to see things as they really are. Learning to look and to see things as they really are. Until I heard him say these words, I had taken for granted the very act of looking at, of seeing reality. Whereas having spent so many years practicing the piano, I had exercised my listening skills, I had never as intentionally exercised my seeing skills. The story of Jesus' transfiguration challenges us to do so. The experience of Jesus' transfiguration is a theophany, and as such, it oversaturates all of our senses. It shares many details in common with the theophany that Moses experienced, which is described in Exodus 34. There, too, the theophany took place on a mountain. God's voice was heard, and the glory of God shone. The same after effect of being in God's presence that lit up Moses' face also lit up Jesus' face, leaving him and his clothes dazzling in light. The dazzling brightness of Jesus transfigured will be recalled again by Luke in his telling of Saul's experience of the risen Jesus appearing in a light from heaven brighter than the sun. In her absorbing book, A Natural History of the Senses, author Diane Ackerman devotes one chapter to each of our five senses. In her chapter on vision, she describes the technical function of our eyes, primarily in terms of gathering light. She writes, as we know, the eye works a lot like a camera, or rather, we invented cameras that work like our eyes. Like a camera, 
Our eyes can control the amount of light they allow in. The iris of the eye, which is really a muscle, changes the size of a small hole, the pupil, through which the light enters the eyeball. In this way, she explains, the eye has a gatekeeping function, protecting against sudden surges of light. She adds that since, compared to us, fish don't have this pupillary response in which the iris protects against sudden surges in light, and most of them do not have eyelids, they're much more susceptible to dazzlement than we are. Without light, sight would be impossible. All animals, including human beings, need some light to see. If we extend our eyes by artificial lenses and other accessories such as glasses, binoculars, telescopes and microscopes, CAT scans, x-rays, MRIs, ultrasound, lasers, cameras, and so on, our sight becomes even more trustworthy. We can see 10 to 15 billion light years away or magnifications of 500,000 times. We can see inside our bodies and inside opaque materials. Helpfully, the cameras installed on newer models of automobiles detect objects on the road that would otherwise be in our blind spots. When it comes to our own eyes and brains, we know that there are many things we overlook. Because the eye loves novelty and can get used to almost any scene, even horrible scenes. Much of life can drift into the vague background of our attention. As Diane Ackerman notes, both science and art have a habit of waking us up, turning on all the lights, grabbing us by the collar and saying, would you please pay attention? In the story of Jesus' transfiguration, the disciples have been sleeping. These are the same three disciples who later in the Garden of Gethsemane have a hard time staying awake, not fully grasping what is at stake in the situation. Here in this story, it is as though their slumber acts as a veil, preventing them from fully understanding the situation, certainly from fully seeing God's glory and God's presence. It is clear from what Peter says in the moment, moment that they should make three dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to stay a while longer on the mountain, that Peter hasn't grasped the full significance and meaning of their presence. And yet, the fact that he and the other two disciples do not speak again of this theophany perhaps reveals that they too were awed into silence by it. Sometimes we need to be woken up to hear someone exclaim to us, would you please pay attention? As I was thinking about this scripture lesson, a conversation I had early last week with a member of this congregation stayed with me. I asked her if I could share some of it with you, and she said that I could. She shared with me that she grew up in Arlington, Virginia, 
going to school in the 1950s and graduating from high school in 1962. Virginia, like all southern states, was a segregated society. Arlington Public Schools were the first in the state to desegregate, and the first school to desegregate was Stratford Junior High School. While there was much controversy at school board meetings leading up to the school's desegregation, on the actual first day, February 2nd, 1959, when four African-American students arrived at Stratford Junior High School, there were no incidents. It was written about in the local newspaper as the day nothing happened. Because she lived in a predominantly white county, when desegregation came about in her high school, only a few black students came to her school. There, too, as far as she knew, nothing happened. Nothing. Instead, it was as though those few black students were ignored. It was as though they were ghosts. Present, but not really seen by the white students around them, including her at the time. This has been a profoundly sad recognition for her. Looking back to her youth, she doesn't recall her parents ever discussing the controversy or context of desegregation at their dinner table, despite its momentous significance and meaning. What she had learned so many decades later is the result of her own research, reading obscure online documents held at the Arlington Public Library. She shared with me a couple of other experiences, personal and professional, in which she was exposed to the racism embedded in our society. She described each of these experiences as scales falling from her eyes. What had been invisible to her, what had been in the background and not really seen, came into full relief. Thoughtful as she is about these experiences, she desires to live the rest of her life seeing things as they really are. How can we see things as they really are? This is surely a question that artists have asked. Writing about the painter Cezanne, Maurice Merleau-Ponty explained that in his art, Cezanne anxiously strived to capture the fullest sense of the world. He wrote, we see the depth, the smoothness, the softness, the hardness of objects. Cezanne even claimed that we see their odor. If the painter is to express the world, the arrangement of his colors must carry with it this invisible world, this invisible whole, or else his picture will only hint at things and will not give them their presence, their insurpassable plenitude, which is for us the definition of the real. That is why each brush stroke must satisfy an infinite number of conditions. Cezanne sometimes pondered for hours at a time before putting down a certain stroke. For each stroke must contain the air, the light, 
the object, the composition, the character, the outline, and the style. Expressing what exists is an endless task. Conditions of nearsightedness and later in his life, cataracts, exacerbated Cezanne's anxiety to portray the world as it really and fully was. Maurice Merleau-Ponty went on to say, Cezanne considered himself powerless because he was not God and wanted nevertheless to portray the world, to make visible how the world touches us. None of us are God. None of us can see as God sees. Everything in relation to every other thing which requires seeing from every possible spatial perspective as well as over time. There are things, however, that God desires us to see, that Jesus wants us to see. To Saul, who fell down when the risen Jesus appeared to him in a light from heaven brighter than the sun, Jesus said, Get up and stand. Stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. As Jesus' followers, we are called to look and to look into things so that we can see things as they really are, the heart of a matter social conditions that have been ignored, people who were invisible to us, and pasts that are perhaps so painful that we would rather not examine them even though they impact our present and future. There is so much to see, too much sometimes to see all at once. American artist Georgia O'Keeffe is best known for her close-ups of and large-scale paintings of flowers. Out of the 2,000 paintings she made over her career, 200 of them were of flowers. And she once said, in a way, nobody sees a flower really. It is so small. We haven't time. And it takes time. Like to have a friend takes time. It takes time to see. We begin the journey of Lent this Ash Wednesday. It lasts 40 days, at the end of which Jesus will call his disciples friends. There is so much on this journey that Jesus wants his friends to see. Who he really is. Who we really are. The world both as it really is and as it really could be. Let's take the time this Lent to see things that our friend Jesus, light of the world, desires us to see. Amen.